The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Michigan Radio. And Election Day may be over, but what comes next? You can join Michigan Radio as they welcome NPR national political correspondent Don Gagne for a special event on Wednesday, November 18th. He'll share his insights about an election year unlike any other and what it means for the future. For more information and to purchase tickets for this virtual event, visit the events page at michiganradio.org. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit, the day after the big election. And while results are still coming in and we don't know exactly who's won the race right now, it certainly appears as if turnout was huge across the country and especially here in Michigan. It looks like about five and a half million voters cast their ballots yesterday. And a lot of the reason that that happened is because Michigan voted to expand voting rights just a few years ago. And many of you, in fact, over three million of you, took advantage of these new rules to vote absentee. Another 25,000 voters used the same-day voter registration option that is now available to them. Coming up on today's program, I'm going to speak with Nancy Wang. She's the executive director of Voters Not Politicians. They are one of the groups that has been working tirelessly to make sure that voters understand what their new rights are and uh, also to make sure that clerks are prepared to handle this new influx of ballots. Should be a fascinating conversation, and uh, that's coming up next on the show. And also, I'll have some thoughts on what we witnessed so far in this election. Stay with me. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everybody, welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me on this Wednesday. Of course, it is the day after the election, although the votes are still not fully counted here in the state of Michigan. One thing is for sure, turnout in the state was absolutely huge. And a lot of that is because more people were able to vote in a much more easy way whether it's vote by mail or going to their, we had 25,000 people do same day registration. These were things that were not possible in Michigan just a few years ago. One of the organizations responsible for shepherding this through here in the state of Michigan, of course, was Voters Not Politicians. Nancy Wang is the executive director. She joins me right now. Good morning. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Well, and like I said, we don't know all the results, but that really, that's not, not the point. The point is to get people to participate in our democracy and you guys have succeeded we succeeded here in michigan the turnout's not the best we'd still like to see you know 90 100 of the people participate but the fact is people took advantage of the changes that were put in place in 2018 Yes, that's right. Voters Not Politicians is a non-partisan group. Um, and, you know, our, really our goals going into this election were, were to make sure that voters had the information they needed, uh, like you said, to vote however, you know, was most convenient for them. Um, given that there was a Proposal 3 that passed in 2018 that really expanded voters' rights here in Michigan. But we wanted to make sure, you know, that voters really understood what their new rights were. Um, that were that that are now protected by the Michigan Constitution. Um, you know, the biggest ones uh, were anyone can vote by absentee ballot, regardless of uh, any reason, um, and um, also same day registration. And so we're thrilled to see that voters really took advantage of, and you know, they heard 
the messaging and and really um, understood um, all the options that were available to them and they took advantage. Well, and, and I don't have exact numbers right now. And we know that the Secretary of State is updating them as we go, but it looks like we got somewhere around five, uh, almost five and a half million votes cast here in the state of Michigan, which is good turnout uh, for a presidential election here. We saw some solid turnout in some of the urban centers too that traditionally have maybe not shown up in the types of numbers that they did. Uh, that takes a massive effort to educate people on how to do this and also getting the clerks and everybody else up to speed on the new rules. Your thoughts on our first experiment with this? Yeah, it really was all hands on deck. You know, I, I really commend Secretary of State Benson and her team. Um, they, they were really great in being proactive about messaging um, that everyone uh, has the right now to uh, request an absentee ballot, uh, especially during COVID. You know, we went into the spring uh, and the summer really concerned about um, the fact that Michigan had been so hard hit and, you know, what does that do to our elections? And I think in large part because of uh, the, the public kind of, um, you know, messaging um, and constant really uh, messaging from the Secretary of State's office, people really understood that they had uh, options to vote safely you know, um, you know, with no contact whatsoever, they could uh, request their absentee ballot, get in the mail and, and drop it off at their local Dropbox uh, or in their clerk's office or, or by the mail. And we saw something like 3.2 million absentee ballots cast, uh, which of course is a record breaking number. Um, and, you know, it, it really didn't have to be that way. Um, but I think it really was, you know, groups like ours, um, all the local clerks, we worked with local clerks um, in 17 municipalities who expanded their clerks hours um, on nights and weekends to, to again, give um, more voters the access, you know, to the ballot. And, and you know, all of those um, efforts combined, uh, I think really uh, helped voters, um, you know, turn out despite pan the pandemic and really make their voices heard. Well, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't exactly sure how this was going to go over, how many people would take advantage of it, because I'm one of those people that used to like to go to the polls and, and you know, uh, and do it right there. And there's a point of pride kind of thing to that. But I took advantage of it this year. And I guess my favorite thing about it was, especially when it comes to like the judicial sections, being able to sit down, look at the names, go online, see some of the reviews of these people and take my time and fill it out more thoughtfully than I might if I was in the polling place. And I consider myself a somewhat educated voter. Uh, the fact that 3.2 million people did this, uh, did that surprise you that, that we had more than half the electorate choosing this option? Uh, you know, it did and it didn't, right? At the start of the thing, like you said, you know, we didn't really know uh, what the reaction would be um, and whether the voters would embrace absentee voting, especially given the national rhetoric that we've seen and how politicized it's, it's become. Uh, but again, you know, I think we've been working on this. We had a primary uh, in April and, and, you know, I think since then we've just really, um, you've seen more and more people really understand, okay, you know, like what the process is. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, advertising, some posters, you know, radio, uh, where people really went through and explained step-by-step, step, you know, like, what does this actually mean to vote absentee? Uh, and the fact is it's very, very easy. It's very convenient, um, in everyone's, you know, city and township. So, uh, as, I think as we got on election season, we were very, very uh, encouraged to see, you know, more people talking about it um, and, and people really embracing uh, the early vote. Well, I should remind folks, my guest right now is Nancy Wang from Voters Not Politicians. They are, of course, a nonpartisan organization. Their whole goal is to get more people to participate in our democracy. Uh, 
one of the problems that we're seeing, and I don't want to say it's a problem, but uh, you know, the count is obviously taking a little longer than many people would perhaps like. The legislature made some movement to make it a little bit easier so that you could at least process the ballots the day before. But you see states like Florida allow them to be counted so they can, Florida's results were up by about 11 o'clock last night. Is this something that you guys are going to look at and push the legislature and lobby them to maybe change the rules because, you know, when you've got 3.2 million people that take advantage of this, that should get their attention. Right. Yeah. And that's something we're absolutely going to continue to push for. You know, we did uh, this session as well. Uh, we wanted to, you know, you could see uh, what the clerks really needed, the support they needed to do their jobs. And I, again, I just am a, uh, really, really impressed and uh, so appreciative of, of the, the, the detail that's gone in, you know, the, the method, like methodicism or how methodical the clerks are being uh, in doing their jobs. And it's not easy to process 3.2 million ballots, uh, especially because they only had a very short window uh, on, on Monday to just take those ballots out of the outer sleeve. You know, they couldn't feed them through the machines. They couldn't start counting uh, until, uh, the, uh, until election day. Um, so I think with the limits that have been put upon clerks uh, by the state legislature, uh, they really did a phenomenal job to get, you know, the counts that we have already been able to see um, since last night. Um, and, but yeah, absolutely, that's something that's on the top of our list. Um, we want to continue to um, to give voters, you know, these common sense um, uh, ways that that they can, um, you know, vote securely, but then also to, to help our clerks, you know, count those votes efficiently and accurately um, so that we can have results. Well, where do you expect it to go from here? I mean, this was our, you know, we obviously had the first go around with the primary, and I hate to suggest that a primary is sort of a practice run, uh, but we've learned some things over the last 24 hours and uh, 48 hours about how this process is going to work and what can be improved. Uh, besides those legislative changes you're thinking about, uh, were there things we learned about how many staffers we need uh, and, and what types of, of people need to be trained to do this sort of stuff? Yes, I, absolutely. I'm, you know, I'm really excited to, um, to really understand the lessons that have come out uh, of our uh, many clerks offices this election. I think, you know, what the people showed um, this cycle and I, and I hope, you know, this message really, uh, gets heard by our legislatures is that Michigan voters want, they want access to the ballot. And, you know, it's now our constitutional right to um, vote by absentee. And there are a lot of things that we can look uh, to other states who have been, you know, doing all mail elections for, for decades and securely um, and, you know, um, offering convenient ways for their voters to, to vote, uh, regardless, right, across the political spectrum, vote by mail is very, very popular with voters. And I hope that we can institute um, similar uh, reforms and improvements to our vote by mail system. Well, you know, when we look at, at the results that are coming in, and yeah, it's, it's, it's 24 hours, uh, you know, a little more, not quite yet, uh, since the polls closed. I mean, so they're actually doing a pretty darn good job, if you ask me, given what they were tasked with here. Uh, but do you, you get a sense that nationwide we're seeing shifts like this, right? More and more states going with options like this, vote by mail, things along those lines that we're seeing. And it almost seems as if Michigan is a little bit behind the curve on some of these things. Uh, what's the next step, do you think, in terms of making this as easy as possible for people in Michigan? Yeah, you know, I think there are some um, very easy things that the state can institute. For example, for the primary, the Secretary of State mailed out uh, absentee ballot 
um, applications to every voter. And, you know, that is just an application. The voter still has to fill it out. Um, they can choose whether to receive an absentee ballot. Um, like you said, you know, some voters really, they, they appreciate, they, they really want to uh, continue a ritual of going to vote in person, and, and that's still available to them. But for the rest of uh, voters who really want to take advantage of, you know, voting from home, again, especially during a COVID pandemic, um, but, but, you know, just uh, also to be able to vote, you know, not exactly on that Tuesday, right, um, if you have family obligations or work obligations. Um, and so uh, I think making uh, Election Day a, a holiday would help. Uh, I think, um, you know, automatically giving um, voters um, information in their mailbox to say this is how you apply for an absentee vote, a ballot would help. Um, we personally at Voters Not Politicians, we think um, the state should automatically mail a ballot to every voter. Um, you know, and there are things that we can learn from other states about how the state can very accurately and securely track, uh, you know, where the ballots are uh, and when they've been received by the voter and when they've been returned. Yeah. And that was one of the neat things that I was able to find out with my own ballot. I mean, I, I got an email that said, hey, we've received your ballot. It's all good. Uh, yours will be counted, um, which I, I think helped inspire confidence in me in the system. Not that I was particularly worried about it based on experiences in other states. Um, but having an election like this with as many people participating, the count coming in as quickly as it does, what do you think that does for overall voter confidence in this new system? You know, given some of the politicization that's happened around this issue. Yeah, I, I think it really boosts voter confidence. I think voters across the spectrum, whether you're, you know, Democrat or Republican or, you know, independent, the, the purpose, all we want to see is we want to see a fair, a free and fair election. Um, I think that sentiment is shared broadly across uh, voters. Uh, and, you know, we want uh, to be able to vote and we want our vote to be, to be counted. Uh, and those are the values, I think, that um, cross party lines. It's shared by Michigan voters throughout the state. That's, the, that's what we continually uh, see, you know, what we've been seeing um, this whole year. Uh, and I hope, again, that uh, our state will, our state legislature will listen and continue to, um, you know, do whatever they can um, to serve their voters, really, and, and to make it as easy as possible for voters to vote. Well, while I've got you, I, I want to ask about one other issue. Uh, and, and voters, not politicians, of course, really got put on the map here in Michigan around the gerrymandering issue. And, you know, I was watching the state house results uh, as they come in and the state legislative results. And then I realized that a lot of the reason that you get so amped up around this time, you know, these these 10 year cycles is that that's going to that's who's going to write the political lines next time around. Uh, that's not happening this time. Um, and it almost seems as if a lot of the pressure that we may have seen on some of these races advertising was not there as a result of the fact that this one issue that they so desperately want to control has been taken out of their hands. Um, that's, I guess, a good thing. Oh, oh, it's a, I mean, it's a great thing uh, really for voters. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and uh, I think, you know, where Michigan is on the cusp of uh, a really dramatic change, I think, uh, in our district maps for both the legislative races and congressional races to come. Uh, we have been such a heavily gerrymandered state for so long, for decades now, that no one can predict, of course, what our new maps will look like, but we know that our politicians are gonna be more accountable, which will bring more people um, into the democratic process when you know that you know when you vote, your votes can count and you can actually vote uh, your politicians who aren't serving you out of office. 
So I'm really excited for our future. Yeah, that's going to be amazing to watch that uh, committee come together and see what they come up with here in Michigan. Well, well, Nancy Wang, I appreciate your time today. Uh, obviously, we've still got some some work to do to find out exactly what happened here in Michigan. But just, you know, congratulations, because a lot of the changes that you guys helped usher through I think have led to greater participation. And that's all that I want to see. The more voices that we have counted, the more voices that we hear, the clearer the mission for our elected officials. And uh, the more people that participate, the more we know. Thank you. Couldn't agree more. Thank you. Nancy Wang is the executive director of Voters Not Politicians. We appreciate her being with us today on the show. All right, you know, I've got some thoughts on what we've witnessed so far, and I I can't call it for sure, but it certainly seems as if Joe Biden has found a path, albeit a somewhat unlikely path, to the presidency here in the United States. And there, there are people out there today that are concerned that it wasn't indeed a blue wave. We're expecting something more disappointed that uh, Democrats may not take back uh, the U.S. Senate. Uh, that Mitch McConnell will still be in charge there, more than likely, as a new session goes on there. But I look at it this way. It is never easy to defeat an incumbent president. It doesn't happen that often, frankly, and and certainly not in the last 50 years. It's happened a couple of times. You had Jimmy Carter, of course, uh, and you had George H.W. Bush. That's the last time that we voted somebody out after one term. Think about it. Two terms of Bill Clinton. And then you had, of course, two terms of George W. Bush. And then you had two terms of Barack Obama, and now it appears one term of Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump, if you look at the way that these numbers are going, I mean, John James, very competitive in the Senate race, much more competitive uh, in the end than Donald Trump was here in the state of Michigan, Uh, polled better than him the whole time. And, uh, you know, like I said, he could end up winning this thing. I still don't at the time of this recording, I still don't have those results, Uh, but we shall see either way, though, Donald Trump. Uh, did not perform as well in Michigan. And I understand people's frustration with Donald Trump. I understand that people think he's the most vile human being to ever occupy the office. And I was one of those people that has been talking about him as loudly as anybody for these last four years. But that really was the goal here. I never was expecting some sort of a blue wave. I expected a lot of ticket splitting. I expected a lot of people to want to see some Republicans in control of uh, the legislative branches because breaking somebody's party loyalty is a difficult thing to do. So to pry away the people that you did and to get them to vote against Donald Trump but still vote for their other candidates, that is never an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. And people you know, are upset and they're like, well, I never knew that so many of my neighbors were terrible people because they still support Donald Trump. No, they're, they're Republicans. They're voting the party because that's what they've always done. And if you look at it, we are much more of a red and blue state than a lot of people want to think about. Party loyalty goes a long way for people. And I don't want to excuse what I deem to be bad behavior. And there are certain people that have definitely outed themselves as truly bad people in these last four years. There's no getting around that. And the fact that, you know, racism has sort of returned to the forefront, at least as, a, as an outspoken sort of thing, is disappointing. And we have seen those people for what they are. But a lot of people vote out of two things, loyalty and fear. And I will say this, watching the commercials these last few days, Donald Trump did a really, really good job of freaking people out about their security. 
whether it's their economic security, whether or not they're worried about some sort of racial uprising, whether they're worried that there's going to be looting in their neighborhoods, or basically the destruction of their suburbs. We saw all these ads, and while I laughed at them, scoffed at them, thought they were complete and utter bull, a lot of people will see that, and it gets into the back of their mind, and it gets them worried. And the thing is, it's a very, very strong impulse in a lot of people's minds. The devil that you know versus the devil that you don't. The boogeyman of you know socialism and communism being put out there. People don't like to hear that. And the status quo has a very, very powerful draw for a lot of people. Things are going well enough. Don't mess with it. I don't want to see radical change because my life isn't that bad. Well... You know, it could be better, but getting people to think about what could be better versus what could be worse is always a difficult proposition. And so I can deal with a Republican Senate because at least I know what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with Republicans. I didn't know what I was dealing with with Donald Trump. I still don't know what I'm dealing with with Donald Trump. And who knows, he may still pull this thing out by the time that you listen to this. But what was Donald Trump? What did he stand for? What was he really about? He had a scattershot approach to all kinds of different problems. He denied the fact that the coronavirus is a real thing for a long time, much to his detriment. Had this man just told people back in March to start wearing a mask and be careful, he probably would have cruised to re-election. That's how powerful the incumbency is. So don't be that surprised or disappointed that there wasn't some giant blue wave, blue tsunami, that's not an easy thing to do. Taking out an incumbent president is not an easy thing to do. And for me, and for what I was looking for, I don't like Donald Trump as a person. I don't think he's fit to hold the office of the president. He was our president, and he still is our president. And who knows? Like I said, maybe he will still be for another four years, depending on how these results come down. Although it's looking unlikely at this point, and especially since we're already hearing talk on Fox News and from the president himself that there's going to be a legal challenge, tells me that he sees the writing on the wall about these numbers that are going to be coming in. He's lost, and he's lashing out, and that's what he's good at. And him giving that speech, suggesting that he actually won and that it's fraud that is taking this election away from him, is, I think, example number 10,000 as to why this man is not fit to be president of the United States. I would not go after just about any other president the way that I went after Donald Trump these last four years. Because the office is important. And it's also important that we have somebody in there, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican, and I've dealt with both plenty of times in my life. I've been around for a little while. I can deal with either of them as president of the United States because I think there's at least a rational approach to things. I may not agree with the policy positions, but they can be articulated in a way that makes sense. They can be articulated in a way that maybe builds some consensus around how we deal with things. But we haven't had that. We haven't had anything close to that. So for me, this election was always about making sure that the person at the top is replaced. And let's see if we can't get back to some sort of semblance of normalcy when it comes to how we deal with each other on the political forefront. There's going to be some healing that has to be done, clearly. But we're capable of doing that. We've been through worse before. I said this yesterday in my podcast. We have been through a lot worse. And we can get through this again.
But it's all going to start with having somebody in that position that can be dealt with rationally. And, and it's not as unpredictable and as combustible as the man that's been in there for the last four years. Now, you may love his policies. You may think he's a fantastic person and, and love everything about him. I Look, that's, that's your business, not mine. But this is a weird experiment that we've been through these last four years. And I think most of us, most of us, can comfortably say, I'm okay with taking a break from that for a little while. All right, I'm going to go back upstairs, watch some more TV, find out what these results are, read through all the numbers, and see whether or not we indeed do have a new president of the United States come January 20th. But man, what a ride it's been these last four years. You know, part of me is actually a little bit sad if the guy loses because I'll tell you what, my Friday shows have been so easy to put together these last four years. It's going to be interesting if we're talking about trade deals and we're talking about, you know, reuniting with our allies and we talk about, you know, whether or not to, you know, rejoin the Paris Climate Accords or we talk about whether or not to start talking with the Iranians again about their nuclear program and doing it on a rational basis. And not talk about having Mexico pay for a wall that they have no intention of paying for and don't want in the first place. And not talking about rigged elections. And not calling people names and being a baby most of the time when things don't go your way. We need this. We need a reset. Now let's go see if it happened. Have a great one, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in the city. We're asking you to support independent local journalism by joining our $3 a month membership. By joining, you become eligible to win prizes, including tickets for sporting events and gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Just go to our website and click the ad at the top or go to www.deadlinedetroit.com membership.